You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. We're here on Red Bull Radio. Um, today, we're celebrating two years of New York Tracks, which is a really cool local label. And we've got a big crew in the studio. First up, we're going to have John Selway, who's an old friend of The Bunker and who released the most recent EP on New York Tracks. And we're going to talk to him and hear a DJ set. And then towards the middle of the show, we're going to talk to Nicole Bernecki and her husband, Boris Bernecki, who's an artist on the label. Nicole's the founder of the label. And uh, yeah, just talk about what's going on here. And uh, I should mention before I forget, because I tend to forget these things, that we're doing a party at Good Room on Saturday, April 28th. It's a collaboration with the Exit Festival in Serbia, where the Bunker is presenting a stage this year. And uh, John Selway and Lote, who's an artist who is on the Bunker New York and New York tracks, will be playing in the Bad Room alongside Lag, who's from Serbia, and Patrick Russell, who's a resident DJ. And in the other room at that party, we have Kanging Ray, Phylaxoid, Erica, Tihana T, and myself. And then I guess we'll talk about the New York Tracks party a little later, but they are they're also celebrating this Saturday at Bossa Nova Civic Club. It's Saturday, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, I thought you had it wrong. Uh, with uh, the whole Subway is playing, Boris uh, is playing. Subway, Boris, and a couple of other people. Lote. But, uh, not, not everybody that's on the label. Okay, but a lot of the label, yeah. a lot of the label will be in the house. Um, okay, so getting right into it with Subway. Hey, like said, yeah. what's up? Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. You've, I mean, you've been at this electronic music thing, techno thing. A little while. For about as long as, I mean, almost anybody, literally, right? Don't you think? Pretty long. So when did, when did your very first record come out? What year? 92, barely, maybe 91, no, 92, pretty much. And now you have a record coming out this year, so, and you've kept at it. Pretty, fairly consistent. Um, yeah, I, I've sort of always kept a foot in somewhere. You know, <laughs> um, you, we were talking about that a little bit earlier, you know, about how, well, I haven't been playing out as much in the last few years. I've been more doing the family thing and teaching production. And um, But you you were saying how I, I you noticed I'm still commenting on promos. Yeah, <laughs> totally. On, on all the, the promo lists I'm on, it's like, and it's not just downloaded for subway no i i i'm not one of those i did for a little while have a friend helping me like when i was more busy like just look and but it was always like you know i would always go back and make a comment i wouldn't only leave the downloaded for thing Downlo- that downloaded only lasted for JSOA. that was only for like a year that wasn't you know, <laughs> i felt bad about it it is i mean it is incredibly hard even I think for full, I'm not a full-time DJ. I do all this other stuff, throwing parties and my booking agency and the radio show. And, uh, but it's hard to even begin to keep up with all the music that people send right. and then trying to keep up with music from the shops that people aren't sending you, which is where actually most of the good stuff is. <laughs> yeah. No, I not relying only on what people send you and doing a little footwork yourself makes a big difference. And also allowing yourself like as a I'm a you know lifelong music 
nerd. I worked in a record shop for many years. You remember Satellite? Oh, I forgot you worked at Satellite. Yeah, that's like, that was kind of a springboard for me in New York. You know, right. Because I was a buyer there and I met lots of other DJs and producers and made connections with distribution and labels and promoters and that you know, was good. But um, where did I go off track on that one? <laughs> um, no, I was just saying like having, letting yourself uh miss music and not be drowned by so many releases all the time and just say well someone else is going to play something that you don't have and that's fine and, yeah and then also like i was trying to pick out some tracks for today and i'm like what do i play I even i you know i bought a few things here online and got a couple promos and um how do i choose and just don't worry about it just like that one sounds fine and not sweat it and just kind of let your feelings guide you use the force a little bit I don't know. I think that's a big part of DJing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just using, you know, there's only so much prep you can do. And then, yeah, you're just kind of using the force and everybody's going for that. I think there's that magical moment when people speak of the, the records playing themselves where you're not, you're just, you're not thinking about it sure. so hard, but it's actually working better than it ever possibly could if you put all the thought in the world into it because everything's just... Yeah, I revel in those moments, the few yeah. that there are, definitely certainly nice when that happens um so i wanted to ask you about you uh, well you, you're super into production you, you do a lot of teaching you've been at this for a long time and maybe just to speak a little bit about the difference you said you started in 92 and just what it took to be like what you needed to have in your studio and how hard it was to get that together hmm. in order to make a record that could come out and sound good and be played by people versus what it takes to do that now um I'm, i think it was a lot obviously more limited in terms of choices right and that actually in that respect made it easier to get hmm. started in from a, a if you think about how now you can save up your money buy a laptop get some software and or if you want to get into hardware you know buy this machine and that machine and this and plug them all together and, and eventually you spend enough to have enough different instruments and learn how to play them and connect them together whatever whether it's that Making all those choices, having like a million different things that you have to choose from. On a computer, it's even worse because you could have thousands of plugins to choose from. Yeah. Millions of samples to choose from if you're using sample. Like whatever it is you're using to produce your music with, they have way too many choices for any sane person to like easily get through, right? Yeah. Well, you really have to be focused and you know, I'm not super focused. I have like stylistic ADD as a producer. You probably notice I have a lot of different names and the different t styles of music. And yeah, I mean, you've done I keep everything coming from... back to certain things. <laughs> like what I'm doing for New York tracks is something I keep coming back to for sure. Um, and what I started with too, but I, th I think in a way, you know, back then you have a mixer and a drum machine and a keyboard. And if you're lucky too, and a, a, an effect it may be and like just a handful of things and it was harder to get because it was expensive or not as common in, or for everybody you couldn't just go online and download it and instantly have everything you need well the knowledge the knowledge wasn't as widespread right He's, like um, people like really struggled for years sometimes to figure out like what synth was being used on a certain chicago house track or well, something you say that I'm, i remember like the incredible Eureka, oh my god, like this moment when I was reading uh, DJ Magazine in the UK used to be called Jocks in the 80s. <laughs> and they Sorry, had an interview, an article about the guys Jocks. in Chicago that were making Acid House. And it was right in there, blah, 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 rolling TB303. Bing! Like huge, like I remember down the street 
in Falls Church, Virginia, there was a music store that had a 303 in a glass case for $200 just sitting there with dust wow. on it. And that was like, that was a moment, let me tell you. So that was lucky. But yeah, but that knowledge, just, I mean, now the 303s are maybe harder to get, but the knowledge that that's... Everybody knows. That that's the sound, that's the machine that makes that sound. Everybody knows that. And they can can instantly get a plug-in or a download. So yeah, that was a challenge. But then once you figured out the instruments you wanted to use, you were limited in a way. And I think, you know, and I've come to this very clearly now, like teaching people how to make music. If you have a set, if you know, have a few instruments that you know well, it's easier to be creative and it's easier to have a, a flow out than if you're always like trying this and that and the other thing and this, selling this drum machine and buying that drum machine, trying this plug-in, trying that plug-in, you know, like if you just limit yourself to a few things, that is like an easier path to getting your creativity flowing. Yeah, I I certainly know producers who seem like they're constantly, they're always one machine away from the perfect studio setup when they're getting it, then they're going to start finishing tracks and putting them out. And it's just years and years of that. I just need that. And I I guess one more thing instead of just working with what, what you have and what's realistic for your budget, time, whatever. Absolutely true. And I think, you know, the flip side of that is, let's say you figured out how to make some cool music. How do you get it out there and it was I have to say like if if your stuff was good it was an easier path to get it out back then I think because you know if, if you were into techno you, there were only a handful of other people doing it right and you could that's, reach them. that's kind of what I was getting to with the original question it's yeah. just like how few people I didn't know how hard it was to put the studio together but so few people had the gear to even be mm-hmm. a producer versus now where it is much more accessible. Every now. kid in Bushwick. <laughs> and then it's also, sure, it's easier to make the music. It's harder to do something with it and get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, people are always asking me why we started the Bunker record label. And it was really just that I was kind of surrounded by people who were making, I thought, way better music than what I was hearing coming out. And they had absolutely no outlet and no... I mean, people are always asking me that question. Who do you have... Do, like, what labels should I send music to? I'm like, they're not going to... like, give them to me. Yeah, well, you could give them to me, of course, but otherwise, like, they're not going to put out your music. I mean, somebody I don't know can send me amazing music, and I'm probably not going to put it out because I don't know you, and I'm surrounded by all these people I know and have been friends with for years who are giving me amazing music, and I'd rather spend a couple thousand dollars putting their record out. Makes sense. And I know they're not going to... Well, I'm not going to screw them, and they're not going to screw me which is something that uh, unfortunately happens in this business. True. You kind of got to look out for yourself, right? Yeah. People give you tracks that they didn't really make. Ooh. You know, we can talk about that. Something that happened to Cole. That's actually. terrible. No, it really, like, I've, there have been a few <laughs> stories in recent years about a producer giving a label a track, getting oh it pressed, God. and it's going to come out. And then someone's like, that's not their track. That's my track. Um. So how in just, well, obviously you have this new thing coming out on New York tracks and you just had future times reissue some really much older material of yours recently. Like how, how are these connections with these new younger labels coming about? Well, you know, social network, right? Like everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. Right. And I mean, I guess it's easy. I'm easy to find too. Yeah, every, right? I mean, people, so are, people are much easier to find these days. Like, so, like, I don't I don't directly know the guys from Future Times, but, you know, they know people I know, and 
you know, word got to me. And it was pretty simple. It was like, you know, a message and email and, hey, let's do this. It was really nice, actually, to have that happen. So they were playing this old record of yours. Mm-hmm. They were really into it. Yeah. And they asked and I said, sure. That was, <laughs> it was really, you know, I, it's funny. I had had some, a couple of requests to license um, Shimmer Down, which is the one they mainly wanted. Um, and I was always like, eh, I don't know, maybe I should re-release it myself if it's, you know, but then... I, I liked what Future Times was doing. I like the, the, you know, and it's kind of a new scene for me to get into. Yeah, also, and they're out there. They're playing a lot of gigs and right. getting a lot of attention. And I liked what they're doing. And also, I mean, I, I think there's some DC connection there, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're DC people. And that's where I started. Oh, yeah. So right away, that was like the clincher. Like, I like what they're doing. You know, they're friends with people I know, and they're from where I'm from. That all comes together right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And similar thing with New York tracks or... Sure. You know, yeah. and this Vic, this kind of represents another side of my production life and the, the, the darker, harder techno that I've produced, the stuff with Oliver Chesler, you know, getting our start with Industrial Strength. And they're very much in that lineage, I think. Yeah. So... And there's a huge interest in that music. Sure. Like, I mean, it's. I feel like it's been growing for a while, this renewed interest in it, but in the last few years, it feels like it's hitting a bit of a fever pitch and actually being... I think that's fun. Not that I mean, it ever shouldn't have been taken seriously by the music press, et cetera, et cetera, but it seems like all of a sudden it very much is. Yeah, I mean, I try to, like, take, you know, the hype that goes up and down with a grain of salt, yeah. but at the same time, like, <laughs> great, this music, there's a lot of fun, good music that maybe people missed out on before that they can hear now and then be inspired by, and then it will grow and progress, and it doesn't matter if the hype stays, there's always going to be some people that it means something to and it sticks with them and it develops oh yeah there's the people that just hop from trend to trend and then there's the people that yeah i'm I'm totally on this electro bandwagon right now (laughs) i am on it (laughs) and i feel i can legitimately like i'm not i was there before i'm allowed to do it again and even then like when i was on it before i was i was all grown up but i wasn't you know i wasn't making records in the early 80s yeah I was only listening to them. You were also there for Electro Clash, which wasn't really Electro. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you didn't have anything to do with Electro House, right? No. Which was neither Electro nor House. What was that? Okay. Yeah, you got to be careful. You have to put like a space <laughs> uh, or a dash that you can't just be like Electro House. It has to be separated by a comma. Like, <laughs> yeah. You could totally play Electro and House in a DJ set and rock it. But if you play Electro House, someone might not. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good look. So you, are you still teaching electronic music in production? I know you were working at Dubspot for years, but yeah, that's, that's over. no longer in existence, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I, I had some online courses that were finished out, you know, after the school closed, they, they still continued the online courses, and, but I didn't take on any new ones, it's finished. And I have okay. some private students and I've helped out some friends that are, you know, in the business, not like, I want to be clear, not ghost producing for anybody, but like advice and, you know, bouncing ideas. And I was going to ask about ghost producing. That no. was the next question. I'm not, I've always made sure my name was on the record. Right. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, I just, I, it's kind of funny because it's one of these things that I hear, especially a lot of people fetching about on social media about how all these big DJs have their ghost producers now, but I never know who people well, are t- i mean people are talking about like it's widespread everybody's doing it like i don't i'm i don't know i don't know i don't know who this is that's doing it and who the who it is that's making the music for them I, I understand why and it makes sense from a business point of view but i wish everybody would just be honest about it 
And think of the, the traditional definition of the word producer. Yeah. There's a person who's guiding the project. You can work with an arranger and a, a keyboardist and a this and a that and help everybody do it together. Yeah, all big So records. you could be a big DJ and a producer in the sense of like, you know, directing everybody. And right. still give credit and royalties where they are due. Yeah, there's other people in the studio, but <laughs> yeah. so what? But yeah, it is a little weird that people, it's like they're paying, I guess, paying money for someone to make their music and keep quiet about it. Interesting situation. I'm so shrugging. Not, yeah. Anybody who's not on Facebook wouldn't have seen that. <laughs> oh, we are on Facebook oh, Live, by the way, for those yeah. of you who like Facebook and video, you can check us out there if you're just listening. Um, so... We've got like 45 minutes left in the hour. Do you want to play some music? I do. Cool. <laughs> so we're uh, we're going to get into the mix here with John Selway and then talk to Nicole and Boris of New York Tracks at the top of the hour. But yeah, for now, let's just get into the mix. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. <laughs>
to Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We've been in the mix with John Soway for the past 45 minutes. We're here with the New York Tracks crew. We've got Nicole Bernecki, who, you're the head honcho. Yes. Owner. Yes. Owner, operator. And her husband, Boris Bernecki, who is a label artist as Bernecki. Thank you for the invitation, Brian. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for being here. This is this is exciting to have you guys involved and involved in the party later this month. Um, and we were mentioning earlier, you have a party to celebrate two years on Saturday at Basa. Yes, What's yes. up with that? Uh, there's a lot of New York Trucks artists that's going to play that, and that's going to get very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the party is Go Hard or Go Home. Okay. Uh, yes, and uh, <laughs> the artists on the, on the bill are uh, John and Boris, who are here with us today, and uh, other than that, Aline uh, Liquid Acid with a live act, Lotte Mehmet from from also from your yeah. record label, yeah, and, our shared uh, label artist. Yes, and Richard Hinge. Cool. Yes. So, what is the? Do you have a succinct mission statement for the label, or what's the idea behind your label? You, uh, s- you seem to have. You <clears throat> seem to be on a mission. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now, w- when I came back to New York um, after 15 years of living in Europe, I just uh, I just decided to because you know I, I was there and like involved in a very like hard scene, hardcore, hard techno, and people were like, "Oh, there's no music like that in New York." I'm like, "There is," and I'm gonna start. So that's how the label started. But then, as I got to know more and more people and more and more scenes and more and more venues and everything, I kind of like decided to just uh, show the diversity of sound. So everybody thinks it's a hard label. I mean, it's. I think that the ca- the sound has character, but it's not necessarily a hard techno label. So, so um, you know, for now, it's just to present music by New York producers as a mission statement. But there's much more behind that. There's also the graphic design of the label that's uh, based on my fo- photography. That's um, just showing New York, like the gritty side of New York, and. Uh, it's just that um, right now everybody thinks that the scene is like Europe-centered, so I would like to shed some light on what we do here in New York. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's certainly a lot happening in New York, especially in the past, I don't know, in the past, five years yeah. and or something. There's just so many parties, so many people producing, DJing, everything. It's really, it's really exciting. And honestly, something we've seen with the booking agency and at my parties is that we're actually having almost better luck these days with domestic artists from New York getting them gigs in North America than bringing over Europeans. That, yeah, that's true. I also think so, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, you know, it, it definitely changed in the, lo- in the last four years, which is when I came back was four years ago. It was not as crazy as it, it's now. So, you know, I, I'm very happy to be part of that fabric, but uh, what I'm trying to do is just to show a certain type of sound coming out of New York and its diversity and just everything New York-based. Right. So you're a native New Yorker, and then you you left you left to where, and then yes, came back? Yes, I, I was born, uh, even though I don't sound like that. I was born in New York, <laughs> and I was raised here until the age of 10, and then and then my mom took me to Europe, where I lived and where I went to school, and then I came back four years ago, and um, I also went to school here. I did my doctor degree in law, and I just work here in that field, but um, yeah, so... You can say that, <laughs> right. even though it's a complicated story. <laughs> so, um, aside from New York Tracks, you have a sublabel called New York Tracks Imports. Imports. Yes. How did that come about, <laughs> and what is the 
distinction uh, here. It was never it was never supposed to happen. Um, it was an accident. So somebody somebody sent me stolen tracks pretending they were a New York artist. And they they told me that their friends would taught signs and and <laughs> there was a lot of like uh, a lot of lies and everything is a long story. But what happened in the end is that it turned out that these tracks were stolen and that person is from Paris. And um, and I these tracks were so good and it took me 72 hours around to find the actual authors of these tracks. So once I found them, it was one guy from Ireland and uh, that made one track and the two other tracks were made by a guy from Sweden. So I found them and I decided to because they were so good. So if you haven't heard, everybody should check out the New York tracks import. So one It's a very good record. And I just decided to release this, but I didn't know what to do. So I remember I went to Bossa, I went party very hard. And then when I was coming back, I came back with this idea to start a sub-label and call it Imports, which is going to stand for Imported Music. So did so, you have yeah. to... So you already had the records pressed at this point? When oh, you no, it was... Yeah, I, I had them. Yeah, it was, They were past the stage of being pressed, but not on the shelf yet. So I was able to change the stickers on them. Uh, and, right. Yeah. So did you put on new labels or how does that... Uh, yeah, we we, cha- we changed the label. The, yeah, the, okay. the sticker, the, the, you know the thing that goes on the record that we changed yeah they can glue a new inner label on how do they do that uh, well they did it apparently like (laughs) i would have to ask it can be done i I would have to i would have i mean i've seen some records i have some records where it's kind of like it bubbles and then peels off and there's another one underneath yeah, so, so that's like probably what there's, that's, there's a there's a process, and and that's why the the New York tracks imports doesn't have any artwork on it. It's just a black background with white letters because it had had to happen so quickly that we just right. decided to like be minimal with that. So I only have two records on that sub label. Uh, you know the uh, what was supposed to be the stolen record and a second one that came out, and now after John's record there will be the third one on New York tracks imports. Right. So now this is a long story, but how did you figure out that these weren't this artist? Be- because when I uh, when they were sent to mastering everything was ready at some point I always try to like announce the record and introduce the record right. to the public knowledge and basically what I did is I uploaded these tracks on SoundCloud but then I also uploaded them on YouTube and I started posting them all over and they were these guys that actually heard these tracks and they so so what happened was that I was asleep because there's a different time zone in Europe as we all know so I was asleep here in New York in my bed and what woke me up is like my phone vibrating so hard it fell off the of the shelf i'm like what's happening so i look at my phone and there's like a million notifications it's just going crazy so i go on youtube i go everywhere and it says you thief this is stolen and you know people calling us names the and everything found you and, were and i and i almost got a heart attack i didn't know what to do so so you know i contacted her it was a girl by the way which is even more horrible to me but it was a girl so so i contacted her i'm like listen this is stolen and i created a um, my group message with her and with these two guys that actually made the tracks and uh, and they started grilling her and then she just disappeared from the surface of the earth like completely like she deleted everything from the internet that was in, like her you know showing her presence everything disappeared within the next several days so she disappeared and then I found these guys because she actually gave me some hints on how to find them on SoundCloud I found them and I spoke with them and they didn't want to believe me at first. It was crazy. But then everything was clarified. What a bizarre story. It was a bizarre story, <laughs> but this was actually such a such a PR and promo kick. It's just she doesn't even know what she did. Like she actually, so it actually got me. you a lot of yes. attention for the label yes, that yes. you didn't. Yes, it's a good story. I lost some I lost some money, but but you know, in, in, at the end of the day, like actually everybody started saying, Oh, you handled this well. 
and you know so now i have two labels i didn't want to have the other one but <laughs> but it's going to be very limited so it's a third record only on this label. and then if somebody does happen to send you something really amazing and they're not from new york you have uh, you have a uh, yeah i do have, have the sub label yeah yeah, so so I, so I want to tie back to like what you just said before that you don't want to work with people that you don't know. I learned that lesson through that situation. I've actually quoted your story to people when they're like, "Why?" I'm like, "Actually, <laughs> it's it's part of the reason. It's because it's the hype." You know, Brian. with my label, well, with my label artists like Clay Wilson or somebody who's my boy who lives in the neighborhood. If something, any kind of issue comes up, we're gonna go and get a beer and. What? Sort it out, you know. If I'm, I'm scared of people sending me music from Europe and South America. I don't, I don't know them. They're just links on SoundCloud. I don't even listen to them. I was a little spontaneous with that because I like the tracks, but I definitely <laughs> learned something. And you know, I will still work with newcomers, but I'm going to verify them a little more. But that was a long time ago, so. You you should know. have double checked with Todd Signs. I did, I did, and did? He, I did, and he confirmed that he knew her because it turned out that she first provide, like she first created a background with lies to him. And then right. moved on to me, and he actually told her to send me music because the tracks were like hard stuff. Like, and he's like, "Oh, this is for New York tracks." So he actually sent her to me. So in a way, it's all Todd Signs' fault. It oh sounds no, like. it's not. I'm it's just the universe. I'm just, I'm just giving Todd a hard time. But what I'm, <laughs> to me, I blame hype. You know, everybody wants to be a producer. Everybody wants to like, like start in the beginning, like knowing nothing, and immediately jump to fame. And we that's what that I blame the hype. You know, I think that is just not healthy what's happening. And this is like a direct result of that. It's like a 19 year old kid doing these kind of things. Like you have to sit down and learn your craft. I see a lot of this in like when we started the bunker in New York, we didn't, I didn't think about the brand becoming what it has now and playing gig, playing gigs in any other city, much less going to Europe and doing yeah. Berkheim and all this stuff. And now I feel like people start a record label start a party in New York and a year later they're like why aren't we playing at Bergheim why aren't we playing at Fabric and that's like, what I'm saying we're killing it it's and it's it's the it's the intention of starting a label or a party or whatever is not it's it's not really pure in a way it's actually just a vehicle to yeah to fame. your it's, yeah true huh so any other important lessons learned over the past two years of doing this um well if whatever I do I think I, I try to try to take some lessons out of that so I definitely we're definitely evolving and it's a very young project and I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future I didn't really expect it to develop so so quickly but I did have experience before that I worked for some record labels I did this and that you know I did my own parties for now it's going to be 11 years in May so um you know I'm I'm, I'm still learning I'm just trying to be um, humble in all this right yeah. So outside of the label, I wanted to ask you about one more thing before we ask yes. Boris some questions too. You you had you kind of had an active role in having the cabaret law repealed, right? Uh, you were involved with the yeah. organization. I feel like I saw you Dance Liberation Network. Yeah. Uh, so when uh, yeah when that organization was founded, John Barkley asked me if I wanted to be involved, and of course I wanted to be involved. And I think we really did a great job, and we did something of historical importance. And there's very good changes that are coming out of this that are happening right now so that was like the first step and now we have a nightmare we'll see how that's gonna go and yeah, it's all very we're also planning to take on the uh, zoning regulations in the city and a lot of other things in the future so it's not it's just the beginning you know cool so you're using yeah. your your legal background I imagine to help with all this. Yes, yes, yes. But there, there are very experienced lawyer lawyers on that team. So like, I'm just like a nobody compared to these people who are involved in that on the legal side. But definitely, 
I think is just the beginning and we're going to do a lot more with I that. I mean, it worked. The cabaret yeah. laws repealed. I'm sure John can remember. Remember when people tried to do that in the O's and in the 90s? Absolutely. Like they were like, we're going to get this thing repealed. It's, and it's taken forever. And, you know, that's another kind of side bonus of being involved in New York tracks is like, she's a killer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I'm going to I'll fully admit when you and John were like, we're going to repeal the cabaret law. I'm like, yeah, I've. I've, I've I've seen this season of this show before. Well, I have to say that you guys uh, actually did it though. So okay, we, congrats. People say we did it, but the thing is that the most important role was by Rafael Rafael Espinal. Of course. So he was the segue between the people and the government, and he did a great thing. But of course, we provided the uh, the, the the manpower for that because there were so many. The entire Bushwick scene, everybody got involved. Like you don't see people getting involved in. Pol- politics like yeah, that. Yeah, but you had like the big meetings at Market Hotel that everybody yes. showed up to and everything. So Yeah, thank you. Okay. So let's ask Boris a couple questions too before Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um first of all I, I was just reading your bio, the first thing that struck me is that by the age of thirty you had seventy six releases out. I would say like close to ninety right now. And I'm what, in like four months, thirty two? Well and so and like Selway so you have these are under many, many different aliases. It's not that many. It's basically like five or maybe six. You know, no, no, no big deal. I, I, I just like you know, <laughs> I just like to listen to a lot of music, yeah. and I wanted to try to make a lot of music too. And you know, some of it got released, most of it didn't. Right. <laughs> um, and I wanted to ask you briefly about the Exit Festival because we're mm-hmm. doing this event, and New York Tracks is helping out. Congratulations. Yeah, we've got Selway <laughs> and Lote. Um, what's your, I know from talking to Lag, who's Serbian, and in, mm-hmm. he's the one who connected me to the Exit Festival in the first My time. Milos. Yeah, and he said that you guys are really good friends, and that, that have you, you had some experience with Exit Festival? Have you played there? Yeah, of course, of course. Like, the first time I played, that was in 2009, and I played, like, you know, four years straight up, you know, like, 2010, 2011, 2012, and then, like, the first ever Onta live act in Serbia was at Exit Festival 2012, and I think I played, like, once or twice after that, and that's it. But, yeah, I can't wait to go back, you know, whenever I can leave. So, yeah. Right, and you're headed, gonna, you're yeah, headed to I'm Europe soon, right? Exactly. You have some more, are there any gigs in particular that you want to shout out that you're <sighs> excited about? <laughs> well, basically, I posted the, um, the, the, the flyer that I made with the dates, but, you know, two hours later, like, five promoters were, oh, that was supposed to be a secret. Oh, you shouldn't announce it. Oh, whatever. <laughs> we have, yeah, we ha- I've had these... As a promoter, I've been on the other side of that yeah, as a exactly. promoter. People are like, Resident Advisor wants to put out a story about the whole tour and you haven't announced the party yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not announcing I, it for a couple yeah. weeks. And they're like, no. I understand. But again, <laughs> a fair warning or, you know, kind of like, you know, a few words before actually, you It's know, kind of, a, I think it's okay. Yeah. yeah. It's all good. So there, yeah, there should be like, let's say 15 to 20 dates, maybe. Wow. Both as Brunecki and Antal uh, in April and May. And yeah, I think like in May we still have like four dates to fill, but like two of them are to be confirmed. So yeah, we'll see. Are you advertising? <laughs> I have to, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you keep mentioning Antal. Is this your, this is, that's your project with somebody else, right? Yes, yes. Uh, his name is Darko Kolar. His, he currently uh, releases his solo stuff under the name Katran, which uh, means... Uh, Tard, Tatar, I think. Like you know? the stuff from the cigarettes, like. Yeah, tar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, tar. Okay. Yeah, in Serbian, <laughs> and he also uh, runs this label, this like very impressive label, pushing all this, you know, uh, 
abstract electronics, but more in this kind of like fierce, harsh, you know, manure. Um, it's called Yesgro. Uh, it's also a Serbian word that <laughs> means core. So, um, yeah, we met like 15, 17 years ago. We were doing graffiti, you know, and we just happened to like IDM, drum and bass, jungle, breakbeats, electro, like different stuff, different time signatures. And, you know, we did not, we, we, we never like, you know, you know, music with only two or three elements, you know, and if we did, you know, <laughs> it, it, it would like take to dig through some records to like find that particular piece. But basically we just found that um, duo seven years ago as like as just an experiment in Novi Sad where both of us happened to live at the same time but not in the same apartment <laughs> and his building was surrounded by you know nearly deaf or deaf people you know like con they couldn't hear a thing so we had this kind of like you know <laughs> privilege to blast out till 4 or 5 a.m. and there's like why is the floor vibrating I don't know <laughs> <laughs> must be an earthquake you know okay okay you know as long as we're all right so anyway yeah basically we just like pumped out five six tracks sent to labels and it took us like two years of you know sending contact and demos until the first release came out so it was worth it not worth it but you know we're just like constantly <laughs> i don't know i mean cool well, we've we've talked over a lot of your potential set here now mm. so we've got 40 minutes left should we get Get into the mix and play some music. It looks like you, you brought a big bag of vinyl. I mean, we can talk for like another 25 minutes, and I can try to play like you know 10 records in five minutes. That's what Nicole loves to see. So you know, looks like you have about 20 in the bag. So you've got tw uh, try 40. 40 records. Okay, mm. so you've got 40 records, 40 minutes. He's playing the lot right right after this. He's like, <laughs> we said no advertising. <laughs> Okay, oh. so let's get into the DJ set here with Brnecki. Thank you, Boris and Nicole, for joining us. We're still here for another 40 minutes. Uh, this is The Bunker New York on Rebel Radio.
you're listening to the bunker new york on red bull radio we've been in the mix with Brenecki, who's an artist on the label and before we go i wanted to shout out once again the parties there's one at bossa nova this saturday the whole bunch of the crew from new york tracks playing that's bossa's free before midnight right yes free before midnight ten dollars after yes and then coming up later this month, once again, we're doing this party, the Serbian Festival Exit, collaboration with The Bunker at Good Room on Saturday, April 28th. And that's with Kengding Ray, Phylaxoid, Erica, Tihana T, Lag, Patrick Russell. And then from New York Tracks, we have Lote, who uh, is a shared artist between The Bunker New York and New York Tracks, and then John Selway, who was here earlier. So thanks again for joining us, guys. Thank you so much uh, for inviting us again. Yeah, it's been great. We'll be signing out in a few minutes here. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.